can I ask you please to take the word of God and turn to the third letter of John. Let's read the first four verses of John's third letter. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Let's pray. O Lord, may our study of these truths this night be a means of us walking in the truth more entirely, more cheerfully, and more God-honouringly. We pray that by your Spirit you'd help us once more to heed these things and to be transformed by these truths impressed on our souls. We ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. When was the last time that you told somebody that you loved them? I hope that if you are married, that you are often saying to your husband or your wife that you love them. Hope if you're a dad or a mum, you're not embarrassed to tell your children that you love them. Perhaps if you're a, a son or a daughter, you enjoy saying to dad or mum how much you love them. When was the last time you said to somebody who wasn't part of your immediately immediate family that you loved them? What sort of impact does that have upon you? How do you respond to the prospect of walking up to somebody to whom you're not married, not your son, not your daughter, not your dad, not your mum, not some other part of the immediate family, and expressing in rich and ripe language just how deeply you feel a true and abiding affection for them? Well, that's the kind of point which most of us begin to bristle and say, well, that's not very British, is it? We don't do that kind of thing. Well, it may not be British, brothers and sisters, but it is most assuredly biblical. And not just biblical cultural, but genuinely scriptural. It's what we find here in language that is both heartfelt and sincere. This is not professional pastoral language. This is not the language of a man who's trying to wheedle his way into someone else's affections. This is not the language of performance. This is words behind which lie deeds. Heartfelt and sincere expressions of love in this vivid and personal letter. <clears throat> It's my intention, as we've done with some of the other New Testament epistles, to work through 3 John at some pace over the next few weeks. A letter that plunges us into the life of the early church, a life characterised by affection among them, by activity within them, and by antagonism toward them. If you want two themes that are intertwined throughout this letter, you will find both truth and love walking hand in hand through the words and lines of John's epistle. The letter gives us windows into the mind 
and into the heart of the church of Jesus Christ but it sketches out the picture in light and in shadows it comes from someone who describes himself simply as the elder and all the indications are that this man both by virtue of his position and by virtue of his seniority uh, not to mention his age is indeed John the last of the apostles to survive and it's written to a man who from the very outset is described as the beloved Gaius Now that's a common name at this time but he's certainly a distinctive man. Three times, and that will give us our essential outline, three times Gaius is described as a man beloved. Uh, Some translate that dear friend but there's a a substance to it, there's an affection that is carried with this language. And you'll notice that he's the beloved Gaius whom the elder loves in truth. And you see their love and truth already bound together. Because the love that the elder has for Gaius is a love that really flows out of their unity in the truth. I know somebody who signs off his letters to other Christians, gospel bonds. And that's really what John is talking about here. He and Gaius are tied together with gospel bonds. There's a love that comes from a shared commitment to the truth. And then in what we'll take as the first section of the letter, John begins to speak in this note to Gaius. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. (coughs) He begins with a prayer for true prosperity. It's a brief petition, but it's a comprehensive one. That you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. It's a lovely phrase. Uh, More literally, John says, I pray that you might be led along a good road and be in health. He's basically saying, I pray that everything would be open, flat in front of you, that you'd be able to make progress without difficulties and distresses, and that you will enjoy many blessings as you make your way along the road. And alongside of that, that you would be fit and well in your life, that you would have a shower of good things from God. It's a prayer for social, economic, material and physical well-being. Now, John hasn't lost sight of gospel priorities. If we read on, we'll see that one of the things for which Gaius is particularly noteworthy is the way that he takes care of other Christians. And I think, therefore, there's something natural in John saying, in effect, Gaius, I hope that the Lord will so supply you that you will be able to keep doing for others what you have been doing up to this point. I want God to bless you. I'm praying that God would watch over every part of your life so that you, as a faithful servant of the Lord, may go on serving him. But notice the measure or the scale that John uses when he prays for the material and physical prosperity of Gaius. 
I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. John wants the grace that is at work in Gaius' soul to have, if you will, a broad and high platform in his life from which it may be exercised. Gaius is a man whose soul is healthy and John pleads that the health of his soul may be expressed, if you will, through health and prosperity in every other aspect of his life. But his primary focus, his first concern and his basic standard when he thinks about how Gaius is doing is the state of the man's soul. And Gaius' soul prospers. Gaius is a Christian. Gaius is a forgiven man. Gaius is a man who belongs to Jesus Christ. Gaius is, uh, sometimes we still use the old-fashioned phrase, in a rude state of health. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It just means that he's altogether vigorous. He's full of strength, full of vigour. He's a man who, to use Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, is being strengthened with all might in the inner man. His graces are in vigorous operation. And John's desire is that Gaius' outward life would give reflection of and expression to the health that belongs to his soul. So let me ask you, how is it with your soul this evening? If the soul is to be our primary focus, if the soul is to be our first concern, and if the health of our soul is to be the basic standard by which we measure or assess our well-being, how is it with your soul this evening? Could you say, or could another competent judge say of you, that is a man, that is a woman, whose soul is prospering. You see, if there is no health in your soul, if there's no prosperity in your soul, then all the material and physical blessings that the world has to offer are really not much more than dust and ashes. You cannot carry them with you, and you do not even know how properly to use them while you are here. How is it with your soul? If you can say, well, I believe I'm a Christian, I would say, well, praise God, because the health of your soul is at least fundamentally established. But let's push it a little further. Would you be content this evening for me to pray about you, that you would prosper and be in health in strict accordance with the health of your soul. That your business, your investments, your reputation at work, your overall physical well-being would be a fair and accurate reflection of the general state of your soul in its relationship to God. You see, perhaps that's not quite such a comfortable question. Once we move away from the absolutes, would I really want my way in this world to be a measure of the health of my soul at this point? 
And yet it is possible for us to give, if you will, an amen to that. John certainly intended the richest blessings upon Gaius when he prayed that he would prosper and be in health just as his soul prospered. And so when we ask about the health of our soul, we need to understand that life is in Christ by the Spirit. That is where all soul health, all soul prosperity begins. Apart from Jesus Christ, the Bible describes us as dead in our trespasses and sins. Sometimes we speak of someone who is sin-sick. That is, their their soul is afflicted by transgression. Their, Their heart is not well. Their inner being is twisted, corrupted and perverted. And it always will be until Christ the great physician brings in spiritual health where before there was only spiritual woe and darkness. And it is in that relationship to Jesus Christ. It is in a close walking with him, delighting in him, fixing the eye of the soul upon him, that not just life in the absolute sense, but increasing liveliness is found. And that's what Gaius has. Gaius has a soul that is both living and lively that is vigorous in the demonstration of its graces, and of which a man like John the Elder can safely pray, Gaius, I pray that your soul's health would be the measure of all the other blessings that you receive. But you'll also note here that this verse militates against what is sometimes called the health, wealth and prosperity gospel. Gaius's soul prospers but there is no assumption that his body and his goods must prosper in accordance with his soul's prosperity John does not assume in other words that just because Gaius is right with God he's always going to be wealthy and he's always going to be healthy He prays that God would bless him so that the health of his soul may be properly expressed in the work that he does. But the focus again is on things that are within. There is no presumption that spiritual health will lead to material prosperity and physical health. And we should not imagine that John is yoking these two things together. In fact, that he prays for physical health and material wealth for a man who is spiritually healthy should rather indicate to us that there is no presumption that these are yoked together. But more generally, how do we pray for one another? Because this is the prayer of a man who loves his brother in Jesus Christ. It is not a prayer of exhaustive detail. He doesn't, as it were, start with the crown of Gaius' head and work all his way down to the soles of his feet. He doesn't know all the details of Gaius' life, all his business deals, all his family matters, all his health concerns. And yet with these broad yet complete strokes, 
John prays for the whole man Gaius. My beloved friend, I am praying that you will prosper in everything and be in health in just the same measure as you enjoy prosperity of soul. Brothers and sisters, this is an extensive and comprehensive expression of love. It encompasses everything that Gaius is and everything that Gaius does. Do we pray for one another in this way? Have we obtained that wisdom from God that enables us to pray for the whole person and for every part of the life? Perhaps sometimes we're a little bit embarrassed to pray for material blessings and physical blessings. We sometimes criticise, perhaps not us personally, but you sometimes hear people say, well there's this terrible shopping list mentality. Now there is a shopping list mentality where you come and, and sort of tick things off and you pray for Mrs. Green's toe and you pray for Mr. Brown's leg and you pray for uh, Mr. Green's arm or whatever it may be. But is it wrong to pray that somebody would prosper in all things? Isn't that what you want when you love someone? That their soul would be healthy? that their body would be healthy, that their endeavours and investments would know the smile of God. This prayer presumes that the Lord looks on every part of our life and teaches us that love will seek every legitimate blessing in the highest possible degree for those who are its objects. And that's why John prays to the beloved Gaius with whom he is bound together in love, in the truth, that he may prosper in all things and be in health, just as Gaius' soul prospers. John then goes on to write here an expression of genuine delight. He says, I rejoiced greatly when brothers came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Now again, here is a transparent testimony to the relationship between these men. And again, we need to be assured in a day and in an age when there is so much perversion of love between men that we do not shy away in the opposite direction and neglect any proper legitimate expressions of affection between brothers in the church, sisters in the church and brothers and sisters one toward another. To be sure there are things of which we must be careful but again there is an openness and there is a sweetness and there is a sincerity to these expressions of love. John rejoices on account of Gaius and particularly because brothers have come and testified of the truth that is in Gaius just as he walks in the truth. Now these brothers are very likely to be the men that Gaius has had in his home as a means of caring for them and advancing the cause of Jesus Christ. They may very well be travelling preachers of some sort. And those men, likely having been sent out from John, have now gone back to John. And having gone back, they've said, you know, 
we met somebody in that place we don't know where it is but we met somebody there his name's Gaius and you can have to imagine this big smile growing across the face of the Apostle John because Gaius is one of his own spiritual children you see ah Gaius tell me about Gaius that man what kindness what generosity what mercy what 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 a spiritually healthy individual we found John's grin grows like that of the Cheshire cat and he writes this letter Gaius I'm rejoicing even as I sit down and think about the words that I heard because those brothers have come and they have spoken of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth this isn't gossip this is righteous communication and it leads to genuine encouragement I hope that from time to time when we speak of brothers or sisters that we know perhaps someone that I haven't seen for a long time and you went to that church and it's a mutual... Do you remember so-and-so? Why, yes, yes, they're doing really well. They're prospering in Christ, they're growing in grace, they're well-settled, delightful family, whatever it may be. Doesn't that do your soul good? God is faithful. God is caring for his people. God is watching over his own. But John specifically identifies the things that make him rejoice. Because there's been a testimony of the truth that is in Gaius, just as he walks in the truth. And again, more literally, there's been a testimony from these brothers of your truth, Gaius, just as you walk in the truth. John seems to be referring to the fact that Gaius has a steadfast commitment to the truth as it is in Jesus. It is his truth. He's embraced it himself. He's done so openly and personally. He's done so evidently and fruitfully. The gospel and all the consequences of embracing the gospel are evident in the life of this man, Gaius. And if you look at what John writes in all three letters, and if you look at the pressures that are implied even in this third letter, this truth that Gaius has embraced, and this truth that is evident in Gaius' life, is a truth that is being maintained even though there are deceivers among the churches, dividers in the churches, departers from the churches, and disruptors of the churches. Men like Diotrephes and others who are introducing new and false teaching and are introducing painful and sinful deeds and practice. They are troubling the church and Gaius shines like a beacon of divine grace in that landscape as a man and who knows the truth for himself and who is walking in the truth. You see, Gaius isn't just a man. It's not as if John writes and says, Beloved, I, I, I'm rejoicing greatly when the brothers came and testified of the fact that you've subscribed to the 1689 Confession of Faith. Now, 
say this tongue-in-cheek, I'm sure if the 1689 Confession of Faith had been around, a man like Gaius would have been happy to subscribe to such an excellent document. But the point is that Gaius doesn't just have a subscription to a confession against his name. Gaius has a proven life which shows that the truth really is his He has a way of going through life which manifests his commitment to the truth. He's got a profession and a practice that matches it. Gaius' creed controls his conduct. His faith blossoms out in his life. The course of Gaius' life, the way that he goes about his business in all its dimensions, consistently reflects the fact that this is a man who knows God through Jesus Christ and is indwelt by the Spirit. You can safely pray for a man like Gaius. Beloved, I pray that you will prosper in all things and be healthy just as your soul prospers. Because Gaius is a man, the health of whose soul shines out in every part of his life. Not perfectly. Gaius is not a man who's risen above temptation, a man who's left sin far behind. But there is a consistent evidence, thoughts, words and deeds that here is a man who's been gripped by the truth and in whom the truth is working itself out in every part of his life. So let's say a visiting preacher comes. Perhaps you're asked to put him up in your house for two or three days. He spends a few days in the church working with us, preaching to us and helping us perhaps to preach to others you will know from your own experience either as a guest or as someone who has a guest that it doesn't take very long for your real character and condition to become apparent I don't know about you but if you're really trying hard to pretend that you're nice how long do you think you can keep that up well, some of us get fed up of that after a few hours and we start you know, we just see what we are at best most of us I hope cannot maintain some kind of sham for very long. Well, Gaius was not a man who needed to try and maintain some kind of veneer over his character. But what would people say of you? How would someone report of your character after a few days in this church, a few days in your home? If they had to carry a report back from you to a man like the Apostle John, Would a grin begin to spread? Ah, I know that man. I know that woman. Ah, yes. Oh, if that's the state in which these men find them, then may they prosper and be in health, just as their soul prospers. Or would you see John's grin suddenly start to turn? Ooh, really? They're doing that? He speaks like that to his wife. He deals like that with his children. They behave like that towards one another in the church. Joy turns to grief perhaps. Even mourning. John racks his brain. How do I pray about this brother? How do I pray about this sister now? 
What sort of testimony could be spoken of you? Would you be one of whom it is said that the truth is in you? It's your truth. And it's working out and shining out so that your way through the world is a consistent testimony to the fact that you are one of Christ's people. You see, ultimately, it's not John's smile we need to worry too much about, is it? The Father in heaven knows our character and condition. And I think that just as there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents, that surely there is, if I can put it this way, a divine smile that lights up the face of the Father when he sees the likeness of his Son more and more evident in the lives of his people. The truth is not something, brothers and sisters, that we just sign up to. The truth is something that is lived out in our whole existence together. And that must be something that we cultivate and pursue. And there's a further reason for that in verse 4, as we see now, finally this evening, a testimony to spiritual priorities. Because John now picks up this language and he testifies to Gaius, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now there's a difference between a paternal spirit and paternalism. Paternalism, if you will, is where you just assume that you've got a right to be in charge and it perhaps implies a measure of a condescending or demeaning spirit where you treat everybody else like they're a five-year-old. But John is not paternalistic in that sense. John is genuinely paternal. He speaks with the spirit of a father who has a measure of responsibility for his children and who has invested in his children. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That kind of language is is reinforced by the fact that John, by this stage, is probably a very old man, but also probably by the fact that Gaius is likely one of his converts. Gaius is one of those under whose John rather is one whose ministry God has used to bring Gaius to know Jesus Christ. And no pastor or preacher ever loses interest in his spiritual children. There is a gospel bond that ties such together. No pastor ever disregards those who are under his care. And John's language to Gaius gives us a window into the heart of the apostle of love. He's already said that he rejoices greatly because of the truth that Gaius possesses and the fact that he is walking in that truth. And now there is this more general statement I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now who's saying that? That's the Apostle John. That's a man who over the course of perhaps 50 or 60 years 
has known God's blessings since he was first called into Christ's service. It's a man who's known what it is to walk alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. A man who's been called perhaps Christ's closest friend and who was given the honour and the privilege of caring for his earthly mother. It's a man who has laboured long and hard in the service of Jesus Christ. A man who has doubtless seen many good things and received many great blessings from the Lord. John is not a small-minded man of limited spiritual experience. But as John thinks of Gaius specifically, and of his spiritual children generally, he says that there is no gift from God that brings such joy to his soul as to know that that primary focus, that first concern, and that basic standard, the soul of his spiritual children, is in rude health, that his children walk in the truth. You see, a spiritual father, or a father with spiritual concerns, has no interest in mere assent, has no concern for a mere verbal expression of attachment to the truth that has been made known. Their joy and delight is in the lively evidence that the truth has become yours. Its impact on your life evident and the ongoing demonstration of spiritual vitality that the soul is prospering. That this truth has become your truth and that you walk in the truth. Now this is true of faithful pastors and I hope that it is true I confess that to the best of my knowledge it is true of the pastors in this congregation that nothing stretches our soul like the matter of your soul prosperity that you have this truth and are walking in it our greatest griefs and our greatest joys run along just these lines. When are we most cast down? When generally or specifically we look over the flock of Jesus Christ in this place and we see little evidence of the truth hitting home, sticking fast and changing the way that we think and speak and act. If you want to see us on a bad Monday, some preachers will say most Mondays are bad, some Mondays are bad Mondays. Those days when we think, well, what difference is it making? Pouring our hearts out, we're labouring over the word to bring it to bear, week after week after week. And yet, it seems to be securing no effect. People seem to be shrugging it off. People seem to be drifting away without paying any attention, not to us, but to the word of God which we're bringing to their souls. That's a bad Monday. You want to see us 
at our most lifted up is when in the light of some conversation some report some thing or action some word or deed that comes to light wonderful wonderful the truth is hitting home the word of God is having an effect our encouragements instructions exhortations pleas as those who wish to nurture and invest those who are under our care those things are now beginning to bear fruit in the life of that man and that woman and those green shoots of spiritual life are becoming stronger and livelier and fruit is beginning to be born in the heart and in the life of that man that woman, that boy, that girl there is something of the likeness to Jesus Christ that is becoming more and more evident those are the things that bring men of God their greatest joy it's true of spiritual parents it's true of parents who are spiritual what do you look for fathers and mothers in your children what instinctively what by calculation would bring you the greatest possible joy in your children what are the things that you pray for and labour toward do you pray that they'd have good grades good jobs good marriages good homes good prospects I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health Amen or do you pray that they would have good hearts just as your soul prospers I am still struck and in measure haunted by the testimony of a friend of mine at a conference a number of years ago now who came up to me in the light of something that had been preached and he said to me Jeremy you know I always prayed that my son would be a real man but I'm not sure how often I prayed that he would be a real Christian it was a heart rending confession from a father that although this was not an entirely wrong priority it ought not to have been his first priority do your children know what are your high priorities for them do they know what are your greatest joys have they heard it from your lips son, daughter there is nothing in this world that would make me rejoice more than to know that you are a Christian walking in a lively and vigorous fashion along the road to heaven are you communicating your priorities as parents with spiritual concerns are you doing it by your practices are you doing it by your prayers are you doing it by the priorities that you establish well big exam on Monday it will probably need to stop back and get some revision done on Sunday pray that you may get good grades what about their soul 
Well, it's school on Mondays, you know, so I don't think we're going to be able to do Sunday evenings. Really? What about their souls? Well, we want them to go on this particular camp, we want them to get these particular grades, we want them to go to this kind of university and yeah, the company's not going to be so good and uh, it's going to expose them to these very specific dangers and to be honest there's no church really anywhere within 10 or 15 miles that they could go but wouldn't it be wonderful for their prospects what about their souls how do you pray with as well as for your children do they hear in you the yearning for your great joy that you would find them in Christ surely strongly and vigorously I'm not talking about some extended process of emotional blackmail but rather a sincere and holy and earnest demonstration that there is no greater joy that you could have than to know that your children walk in the truth. And that really turns it back then upon each one of us. What are our greatest joys? As Christians and as a church. Because really that's a measure of our own soul prosperity. When you hear a man like John say, you know what brings me more joy than anything else in the world? It's the godliness of the people that I love. You think, that man's got his act together. That man's got his head screwed on. That man knows what is of first importance. There are many things that bring us many legitimate joys in this world. And there are many things that bring us great joy. But godly men and women delight in godliness. Do you love and long for the sight of the gospel gripping the hearts of men and women? And more and more so that they are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. When we pray for one another as a church, do our prayers and our expressions of joy rise preeminently and focus specifically upon our well-being as saints before we turn to our prosperity in all things and the health of our bodies? Let us then pray that God will so prosper us in soul and in body that he will make us to abound in all things and be in health in just the same measure as our soul prospers that as we walk in the truth as a church of Jesus Christ as we walk in the truth as men and women who name the name of Jesus Christ that we will have this testimony from others that we are a cause of sincere and abundant joy to all who love the name of Jesus Christ and that we may be more and more attuned in our hearts to growing godliness in one another that we too would obtain joy from the other members of this congregation Amen Gracious God grant that we your people here might be an increasingly scripturally 
genuinely and sincerely affectionate group of believers bound together by the truth in love one of another. May we not be embarrassed to express it properly. May we not be ashamed, O God, of our coldness. May we find expression of it in our prayers. May our great priorities and desires for one another be that we may manifest that our affection to the truth and our commitment to its full expression in every part of our lives. O God, may truth and love be characteristic of us in this place and may we have the capacity for and the experience of abounding joy as we see one another growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and walking in the truth. Lord, answer our prayers, we ask, because we know that you love godliness. May we, O God, pursue it until death makes the sacrifice complete. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.